for those here today who use social media, you know how social media can begin to take up so much of your time, or sometimes you can be sucked into a stream of clips with all kinds of weird and wonderful things going on, and you know the way one clip automatically goes into the next one, and you think, well, I'll just stop after this one, and before you know it, you've watched clip after clip after clip. And lots of those clips have clickbait headlines such as, you'll not believe what happens next. And you see something like grainy CCTV footage of an old granny about to be robbed. And then the next moment she pulls a few fast martial arts moves and the would-be robber is flat on his back on the ground. And the whole idea is that you watch that and that you think, well, I was not expecting that to happen. Today in Acts, we meet a man who worked in a jail, and hundreds of prisoners would have passed through his hands in the years that he worked in that place, but he had never met anyone quite like Paul and Silas. And an encounter with them was about to change his life. He was not expecting what would happen next. We have been spending time together over the last few months in the book of Acts, and we have borrowed that title given to this book by Kevin DeYoung. We have been describing this as the, the story of the continuing work of Jesus. And part of that work of Jesus is to change people's lives. So that here in chapter 16, we have been reading about Paul and his missionary friends spending time in a, a Roman colony called Philippi in the region of Macedonia. And there we hear about three people in that city whose lives are changed by the Lord. A couple of weeks ago, we thought about a woman called Lydia. And on the day that she met with Paul, Luke tells us back in verse 14, if you look at that verse again, that the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. God was at work in her life by His Holy Spirit. The Lord brought about a change of heart. It was He who brought about this desire to know Christ. And then last week, we thought about a slave girl who was of such lowly status that Luke doesn't even name her in his book. And her story reminds us of just how dark this world can be. Because if you look at verse 16, she was held captive. She was held captive by an evil spirit. And she was held captive by the people who were exploiting her and the ability that this demon had given to her to predict the future. But we got to see the freedom that Jesus brings. We got to see the power that there is in the name of Jesus. Because in verse 18, Paul said to the evil spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And we're told that at that moment, in other words, immediately the spirit left her. Lives that are changed by Jesus. The Lord bringing rescue from sin, 
and the hold that it has over us and all of the consequences that it has for us. And as we've been spending time in this chapter, as we've been spending time here in Philippi, this gives us confidence and hope. It gives us hope as individuals so that if the Lord is doing this work in your heart, if you sense that the Lord is opening your heart to the truth about Jesus, then do not resist that work. And if you already believe in Jesus and you long to see a loved one being changed by the Lord, then don't despair. Keep trusting and keep praying. But it's a message and a chapter that gives us confidence as a church, especially given what we're about to embark upon over these next couple of weeks. And how good that we're going to do that. It's exciting. This encourages us to be faithful in that task of making Jesus known. We can be confident that the Lord still changes lives. Indeed, the Lord can transform whole communities as he did in this community in the past, in the year of grace. And today we get to see one other changed life in Philippi. And the story of this changed life is even more dramatic than what has come before. And as we think about all of these lives and all of these people, I hope that you are struck by this great truth of how the Lord works in the lives of people from all kinds of backgrounds. So that if we look at this grid here on the, on the screen, it is a visual reminder that God works His grace to change people from every section of society. Some people are rich and others are poor. Some people come from quite a, a religious background and they've been brought up in church. Others are completely non-religious and never had any understanding of God. But all of them are in equal need of God's rescue in Christ. And that should give us confidence and a desire to bring the gospel of Jesus to all people and to all places. So turn with me again, please, to chapter 16. And we take up the story today as Paul and Silas spend the night in prison. And remember how they got there, that they gave this slave girl who was possessed her freedom. And that did not go down well with her owners. They incurred the wrath of her owners who stirred up trouble so that Paul and Silas appear before the magistrates in verse 22. And if you look at that verse, you see that they are stripped, they're flogged, they're thrown into prison. And it's there that we meet the third person in Philippi who Luke tells us had their life changed. And that's this jailer as Luke describes him. He would have been the senior guard in the prison he would have been the one with ultimate responsibility for all of the prisoners there. The buck stopped with him. And that's why he took so seriously the orders that he'd been given in verse 23. He made sure that he did guard Paul and Silas carefully. Look at the steps that he takes in verse 24. We're told he put them in the inner cell. He fastened their feet in the stocks. He was not going to take any chances. 
But that night, the jailer was to have his life changed. And ultimately, he was to ask this question in verse 30. It's the question that I want us to focus on today. He asks, what must I do to be saved? And this morning, if you have any sense of eternity, if you have any kind of sense that, yes, life does not just consist of our time here, and if you have any sense in your life of the reality of God, the truth that He actually exists, you'll understand that that is a very important question to ask. And yet, it's an unusual question for many people in today's society. If many of our our neighbors and our friends and our family heard that question, what must I do to be saved? They would just scratch their head. What's this about? In what sense do I need to be saved? What is it or who is it that I need to be saved from? And in many ways, it's remarkable that this man, this pagan person who, given his background and his job, was presumably a bit of a hard man, that he asks such a deep spiritual question. Why does he ask this question? Well, I want you to think about the things that prompted this man to ask this deep and spiritual question. Here are the things that we read about at the end of Acts 16 that help us to understand how he got to the point of asking that question and then doing something about the answer that he received. The first reason that he asks it is because of the difference that he gets to see in Paul and Silas. In fact, it's not so much what he saw as what he heard. Look again at verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. And while we later discover that this man was in fact asleep when the earthquake came, presumably he could not have ignored what was going on. At some stage during their time in prison, he too, along with the rest of the jail, had heard these guys singing their praises to God. And I want you to think with me for a moment about the circumstances in which Paul and Silas are singing praise to God, are worshiping Him. Look again at verse 24. They're held in the inner cell. So even if they'd been there during the daytime, there would have been no light coming in. And they're shackled to the ground, to the floor. It would have been uncomfortable and restrictive. And yet, what are they they doing? We're told they're praising the Lord in song and in prayer. Sometimes here in church, we sing that song, 10,000 Reasons. You know that song? It's based on the, the early words of Psalm 103. And there's part of it that goes like this. I'll not sing it, don't worry. It says, whatever may pass and whatever lies before me, let me be singing when the evening comes. And here we see that demonstrated in real life. And when you think about it, this is praise. This is worship 
as it should be because it's based not on the circumstances that they were in, but it was based on the unchanging truth that they knew about the Lord. Their circumstances were awful. They were in shackles, and they were possibly facing the death penalty because of what they had done or what they were being accused of. But Paul and Silas knew that God is sovereign, that He's in control. They knew that they belonged to Him in Christ, and they knew that nothing, absolutely nothing, could separate them from the love that God had for them in Christ, not even death. And I simply ask today, do you have that certainty in your life? So that for you, you could worship the Lord even in the dark and the difficult times. And I know that some of you are walking through such times. Just imagine the impact this midnight worship session would have had on the others in this prison. And what would have been running through this jailer's mind? As at some stage over that evening, he heard these men whose freedom he had taken praising their God, worshiping Him. And surely witnessing God's people, worshiping the Lord in such difficult circumstances, spoke into this man's life. It must have been a big factor in him later asking this question. And so today, believer in Christ, I want you to think for a moment about the influence that you have on others. Because the way in which you conduct yourself in, in times of real challenge, <clears throat> it can speak so powerfully to people about the gospel, about the change that God brings to lives. So that when you are seen and heard worshiping God in the tough times, people simply can't ignore that please don't underestimate how small things can influence for the gospel. What an encouragement that is for us to be faithful in our worship and in our witness. So this jailer was prompted to ask such an important question because he saw God's people in worship and he'd never seen or heard anything like this in his life. But then there would have been another thing that prompted him to ask this question, and that was the integrity that he saw in Paul and Silas. We read about an earthquake that takes place, and the suddenly, which Luke describes or uses at the start of verse 26, would link this with the worship that they were giving to God. It was as if the Lord, the creator of all things, was responding to this worship. He was making his presence felt, and it must have been a dramatic moment. Look at verse 26. Luke says, suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. And when he saw the open doors, the jailer's first thought was, 
nightmare. The prisoners will have done a runner. They're gone. In fact, he was so panicked. And the consequences for losing these prisoners would have been so great that he was about to take drastic action. Luke tells us in verse 27 that when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and he was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. The shock of prisoners worshiping, the literal shock of the earthquake, But then came the biggest shock of all because Paul shouts back at him in verse 28, don't harm yourself. We're all here, it's okay. And I suppose for us the big question is, why were they still there? Why did they not take their chance to run when the doors opened, when the shackles fell off? Because after all, earlier in the Acts of the Apostles, if you look back at chapter 12, You read about Peter in similar circumstances. And he had taken his opportunity to leave the prison when the Lord miraculously provided a means of escape. But the key difference between what happened to Peter in chapter 12 and what is happening here to Paul and Silas in chapter 16 is that back in chapter 12, the Lord directed Peter out of the jail. In fact, he sent an angel to escort him out of the prison and lead the way. Whereas the Lord had given no such instruction or guidance to Paul and Silas, so they obeyed the authorities and they respected this jailer. And when you think about what the average prisoner would have done in those circumstances, straight out the door and seeking freedom, What must the jailer have made of these men who stayed behind in their cell? And again, it is a a wonderful and it's a powerful lesson for us as believers in Christ, for us as a church, that this jailer got to meet followers of Jesus. And you know what? He liked what he saw. Their integrity spoke loudly to him. So what about us? What do people see when they look at your life, when they listen to you and work tomorrow? Does your conduct match your profession as a believer in Christ? Because if it does, it is such a powerful way of people being attracted to Christ. This man was prompted to ask this question because of what he saw and Paul and Silas, the difference, the integrity, but he was also prompted to ask this question because of what happened and what was going on in his life and his heart, this moment of crisis, this moment of trauma. When he realized the doors were open, when he realized that the prisoners would have probably escaped, it was as if his life was over. And have you had moments like that? A piece of bad news, a deal that's gone wrong, a moment when someone has found you out, a diagnosis or a health scare, and it feels like someone has pulled the rug from under your feet. 
Well, I want you to know today because Scripture makes it clear that our sovereign God, the one who is in control, He can take such moments, as traumatic, as awful as they are, He can take those moments and He can use them for your good and His glory. Because it's often in such moments that we most seek Him and we feel our need of Him, and that happens here. This jailer is left reeling by all that he's, he's witnessed, all that has happened. But it is worked for his good because it leads him to ask that ultimate question. Verse 29, he called for lights. He rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and he asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? He's been confronted with God's power. He's been reminded of his own mortality, that life is fragile. And he must have been asking himself that question, am I ready to meet this powerful God? It's a good question to ask. Ask that of, of yourself, because it then leads to this ultimate question, verse 30, what must I do to be saved? And there's only one correct answer to that question. So there's only one answer that Paul and Silas could have given. They tell him, believe in the Lord Jesus. Verse 31, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And you'll notice that once again here in the book of Acts, the household is included. It reflects what we see from God in both the Old and New Testaments, that when God calls someone to Himself, He's not only concerned about their spiritual welfare, but that of their family as well. And today we rejoice in God's covenant mercies. And this man's life was changed. He believed. And this spiritual transformation is seen in the baptism of him and his family in verse 33, and it's seen in his changed life in verse 34. Because think about it, a few hours earlier, he was about to take his life. Now, in verse 34, we're told of him, he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family, a life and a home dramatically and powerfully changed. That's what God can still do. And so just before I bring a final word to the church here today, to the, the body of Christ, I want to bring one last challenge to you individually. Have you asked that question, what must I do to be saved? And have you acted on its answer and believed in Christ? And as we have looked today at the Philippian jailer, what was it that prompted him to ask this question? Well, here in Acts 16, we get to see the two sides of gospel ministry. The one side is this. It's God who brings about the change. We saw that back in verse 14. It was God who opened Lydia's heart 
to the message that she was receiving from Paul. But then here's the other side, and it's important to recognize it, that the Lord calls his people to share in his work. He calls us to be involved in mission. And that is a thing of absolute grace because in one sense, he doesn't need us at all, but he chooses to use us. He gives us a role and we must be faithful. Here in chapter 16, in a Philippian jail, we get to see how God uses the influence of his people to work salvation in someone's life. And when we see this, and when we truly understand this, it should transform the way in which we live this week as God's people in Christ. Because we would want to be a means by which someone comes to put their trust in Jesus, and we would never, ever want to be an obstacle to someone finding salvation. Let's pray that God will give us the grace and the strength to be the people that He has called us to be. Amen.